About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. Everybody say the last ones going to the first. Thank you. Verse 9, the workers who were hired at about 5 in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came who were there at first, hired at first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made us equal to them or made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Somebody underline generous and say generous with me. Generous, thank you. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's read verse 16 together. One, two, three. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Scrolling back up to verse one, we see here a parable. Jesus loved to tell stories. We can understand this story. I actually have a funny story to tell about this story, and it has to do with me being a gringo. Somebody say, I love gringos. Come on, don't you love your gringo white pastor? So one day I was doing work, at the church, and I ran into a problem that I did not know how to do. It was like some kind of construction problem. We were building a cafe, and we needed a little top for it, and I didn't know what I was doing. And one of my Latino friends said, go down to Home Depot. The, the people are out there. They will love to help you. So the gringo, he goes, bam, bam. I go out there to Home Depot, honk my horn. They come to the, the, to the car right there on Cicero. What is that, Cicero and Fullerton? North Armitage, no, the Armitage one. Thank you, Armitage and Cicero. Boop, boop. I honk. They come over. You know, I'm not going to imitate the voice because then you guys will think I'm being racialist, okay? But they come over and start talking, and then I'm like, will you please help me? So I pick out one that I think is the coolest to come be with me. I then bring him over here to the church. Of course, I pay him first. I pay him first. Somebody say, oh, Dito. I paid him first. I paid him first. And I told him what we were going to do. Then he told me, I have to go home and get some tools. I said, bro, I got all the tools you need here. I've been doing it without whatever you don't have. He said, oh, no, but I really need those tools. Will you take me back to my house? So I actually drove him to his house, <laughs> dropped him off, and waited for about a half hour. At that point, I realized he was not coming. He had gone adios with my dinero. And that was the church's dinero, so, you know, he's going to hell if he doesn't <laughs> repent. 
And that was my experience in trying to do what this man did. Jesus is simply telling a parable about a man who needed some day labor. He's going to go out to a spot, go find those who need a job, and he's going to hire them to come work in his field doing manual labor. A denarius is about a day's wage. Put it in our, um, in our culture, maybe $50 to $100. That's a good day's wage for a day laborer just getting picked up on the spot. What we see is that he starts early in the morning. It's going to start at 6 a.m., and then he goes out about every three hours and keeps adding in workers. He goes out again at 9, he goes out again at 12, and then he goes out at 3, and then right before the day would end at 6, a 12-hour day, he gets some people to work at 5. Now, they all agree to the same deal, the day's wage. It's a simple deal. You're going to get that wage. Now, at the end of the parable, Jesus says, go pay them. Go ahead and pay them. The owner says, here's, here's my money. Go pay them. But this is what I want you to do. Start with the one that got hired last, right at 5 o'clock, only worked an hour, and give them the day's wage. And then go all the way from the last one to the first one. And as he did that, the first ones who had agreed to the denarius, the day's wage, thought to themselves, oh, my goodness, if these guys at 5 and 3 and 12 are all getting what we were promised, man, we're probably going to get more than what we were promised. I mean, he's not going to give us all the same, is he? These guys only worked an hour. We've been here 12 hours. And then when he comes to those people, that steward gave them the same exact amount. And now we understand what the problem is. They start to grumble. And let's just be honest, how many of us would do that? We, we would grumble. We would say, that's not fair. You're paying them a day's wage, but they only did an hour of work. Or the others are three hours of work, so forth and so on. That's not fair. And let's go all the way down to the bottom now, please. And what we see is what Jesus says to them through the steward, because we know that Jesus is the one that's orchestrating this as our master, he answered them and he says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Wasn't that the deal? What you're really grumbling about is not that I've broken my word. What you're grumbling about is my generosity. So Jesus told the parable not to provoke us to think that he's unfair because he always keeps his word. He is always fair. But he told the parable to provoke us on what we consider generous. And now I want you to think about your life. 2,000 years removed from the time of the apostles, you are in a, a land where it's free to be a Christian. The Bible has already been written, and you are standing on the shoulders of giants. You are standing on their shoulders. But listen, you go to the same heaven as the first disciples who were burned alive 
You get to go to the same heaven where they who were tortured for Christ get to go, where their children were murdered, where they had to go in hiding, live among the tombs, live in caves, the Bible says. And yet you get to go to the same heaven as Peter. Peter was there at the beginning. You were not. You're coming 2,000 years later. And Jesus says, this is what it's going to be like at the end of the age. I'll start judging with those generations who came in first all the way, uh, last, all the way to those who came in first. So on judgment day, guess what? We're going to be judged before Peter. We're going to be judged. And what he's telling to Peter is, Peter, don't you think that you guys get to go to a different heaven because you were here at the beginning of the day? How many get it now? Isn't that a powerful parable? And that's why he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, I could go on and go to the rest of the passage of chapter 20 and switch subjects. But the reason why I wanted this today to be our only message in this chapter is because now I want to apply it to you in the church, in this church and the work that you're doing. The big picture of the parable is simple, that we are all going to the same heaven, whether or not we bore the heat of the day, persecution, having to go through all the things of the first disciples. That's what Jesus is getting across. He doesn't want his disciples to be haters. He wants them to welcome everybody into the crew and go spread the gospel. But here's what I want to do. I want to now apply this to this church, particularly if this is your home church and where you're saying, I want to get involved and serve God. If that's you, can I hear an amen? Amen. I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting, you're so praying about it, kick the tires and we'll light the fires. Amen. And if you want to jump on in, we're going to have a good ride. Okay. So TikTok, let's rock. Let's go. We're just waiting on you. But if you're still deciding, that's all right. I mean, that's, that's what you got to do, but we're here to get it going. Now, this is what I want you to think about. Oh man, I might get teary-eyed. <laughs> Even as I started thinking about it, I started getting teary-eyed. My wife and I, by God's grace, started this church at 6 a.m. in the morning when no one was around in our house. And we bore 12 hours of labor. Are you with me? And some of you don't understand what we had to go through so you could even just sit on these chairs. You don't know the stories of the heat of the day the, the prices that we had to pay, the sacrifices. And so you're coming now at this time, and my wife and I can't get angry at you and say, you don't understand, you're ungrateful. No, we have to welcome you in. And if my wife and I have to do that because we were the first members of the church, technically speaking, then that means those of you who came a few months later, a few years later, etc., you now have to welcome those who are coming. And if we were maybe to consider what God has called us to do and the future and all that we, we still have to do, there may be so much more work left, we may only be at 9 in the morning right now. Does everybody understand that? Even though it feels like I have worked my 12 hours, take me home, Jesus. 
half kid. No, I'm, I'm just giving you an idea there. It's one way to look at it like up until this point, if we say today is the 12th hour, and if you're the first one, you're joining us right at the 12th hour, that's one way to look at it. And, and then I can tell you all the things that we've done before, or we can look at it like we are now just at the ninth hour, and that if you're here, there's still much more to do. And so I kind of want to hit on that, that way of looking at it in both ways. Let's look at it as the journey has been long. Let's look at it in the long sense. When my wife and I started the church, I had already been a pastor and had closed down a church. And I knew that closing down that church was one of the hardest things I could ever do or would do in life. I was working in the inner city of New Orleans. I had started as a 22-year-old young man, only being saved for a few years. I worked predominantly in the African-American community, and among the African-American community, predominantly in nine different housing projects. We had about 25 to 50 adults, depending on who would come on Sunday, and most of them needed to have the bus or the church van come and get them. I got a CDL license just so I could drive the church bus, and then the rest would be children. So maybe a total of 75 to 100, but where people knew us in the community, in places like where the Hot Boys were from, Magnolia Project, uh, No Limit Soldiers, uh, uh, Master P from Kalio Project, where they knew us was because we would go out into their neighborhoods and do outreaches. So the ministry was great at doing charity, but not so good at getting people involved. And over time, as a young man, not even being married, it got discouraging. And so I realized that maybe I just, I'm not good enough at this. I got to start over again. So I shut down the church, came to Chicago to be a youth pastor. And there being a youth pastor, did some great things at a local church here. But within a year, less than a year, I felt that burden again to go back out and do it again. But this time I had an idea, not just one culture, not just being what I called the, the, uh, the white Robin Hood, going to the white churches, getting their money so I could go spend it in the jacks, the projects. I said, why don't we build a church for every culture? And then we'll all help each other, and we'll do it based on being disciples. We'll do it based on this. So instead of just doing outreach and, and helping all the time and giving handouts, we're going to do hand up, and we'll be multicultural. And so now you can see, by God's grace, that kind of has worked, amen? God did his thing. But at the beginning, I understood that I'll have two paths that I can take as a pastor, I don't say this in pride no more than Michael Jordan saying he can ball. I knew I had two paths. One, I can preach and build a big church. Or two, I can disciple and let Christ build his church. I say I don't mean that in pride, but I knew I could preach and build a big church. I had already been asked to speak at some of the biggest churches, like New Life Covenant here in Chicago, others around the country. I was a youth speaker. I was a person that would be called in as a guest evangelist. And so I knew at that point, if I just came up every week and just preached good messages and got people on fire for Jesus, the church would grow fast. But that wouldn't be the kind of church that Jesus wanted me to pastor or my wife to pastor because I got married at that time between the youth group and starting the new church here. We looked at the Bible and saw that Jesus built disciples. And so that I knew at that moment that my gift of preaching, the gift of motivating, the gift of drawing a crowd would have to be connected like a cart to a horse to discipleship. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus, obeying all of his commands. 
And so early on in those home Bible studies, people are like, we're ready to help. We're ready to do things. But I would say before you help, will you come and meet with my wife one-on-one? And I was at that time writing the books that now became our discipleship. And I was at that time going back and getting, a, getting more education. So after graduating Bible college, I only had an associate degree. At that time, while I was writing the books, I was getting a bachelor's, soon to get a master's, and now I'm finishing my doctorate. It feels like I have never stopped being in school. And by God's grace, I am now finishing up my dissertation. So hopefully that will happen at the end of this May coming up. So in school, writing these materials, I said, let's, let's go through this. My wife with the women, me with the men. And I cannot tell you this enough, how much rejection we faced. The very first woman that said she would do it, who had been a part of our church, we won her to the Lord because our goal was not to recruit people from other churches. Most church growth, 80% of it, 8 out of 10 of the new people coming to a pastor church have come from another church. And so I knew doing discipleship wasn't going to attract them. So I was going to have to start by winning souls. And this one young lady who we won to the Lord through her time of coming over with one of her friends while we were playing video games, because that's kind of how the church started was me playing video games with some people I knew. And then they had friends that weren't saved and they came to know the Lord. And then we started the church with them and started witnessing on Belmont and Clark because that's where God told me to go. And we started doing all that. This one young lady said, I want to be a leader. I want to do what you're doing. And I said, let's start having you come early, stay late, go through the book. Let's go. She said, I can't do that because of my work schedule. I said, well, you let me know when you're ready to start doing it, and then we'll start. This was before the Sunday service where there's only about a half a dozen of us. She got up and got offended, walked out before the service even started. I'm thinking she might come back. I didn't see her for over a year. She got offended by the simple line that I drew in the sand. If you're going to be a leader, we're going to do it this way. You're going to follow us as we follow Jesus. If you can, as noble as it is for you to go to your job, which I understand, you didn't say I have to go smoke crack right now. You said you're working. I get that. But we can't start unless you're willing to start doing what we're doing. It then took over two years, listen to me, over two years to get one person to graduate a book that only had seven lessons. I remember showing up at people's jobs. They took it so lightly, they didn't even care about it. I remember one man, I begged him so much. I said, will you do the discipleship? I see you on Sundays, but will you do the discipleship? He said, Pastor, I don't have any time. I said, what about on a lunch break? He said, man, I don't even want to give you a lunch break. I said, what about one of your 15-minute breaks? He would work the third shift, give me a 15-minute break. I would show up in his break room, and then I would pull out the Bible study, and he would say, man, I haven't even read it. Let's just talk about life. It took us over two and a half years to even start a second phase of our discipleship. And there in that second phase, we started it, everybody quit. And then by the time I finally got them ready to graduate, to become a leader, because you had to go through the 101, which was seven lessons, the 201, which was 12 lessons. By the time I got to people being ready to graduate, they did. Then two out of the three all confessed hidden sin, like pornography, uh, kissing on people that they shouldn't have, a non-Christian dating, all that. They then had to step out of the leadership, and I had to wait to the four-year mark, roughly, to finally point to my first disciple by God's grace and say, now we doing this. Do you understand what I'm talking about? 
You see, I had two paths that I could go. I could run that fast growth route and and do it that way, or we could stop and maintain what God wanted us to do in the Word, no matter how long it took. And so this is the thing I want to ask you now. Do you think I'm going to change that now that you're here? Now that we're finally growing, now that we've got two services, now that we can do a bunch of different ministries and draw in a bunch of different people. And like I said, in in the long story, we may only be at nine in the morning, but I'm telling you, it feels like I've been here 12 hours. And I want to ask you a question. You think I'm going to change it now? Just because you can sing, I don't care if you can sing, be a disciple. Just because you can make this whole place better and be one of those construction workers. No, I want to see you be a disciple. So my question is you, to you is, whenever you got called to this harvest field, whenever Jesus said, this is where I want you to be, Jesus said, I want you to come work here. I'm asking you, are you going to work what we work in here? Because what we're working here is the things of God. We're working the discipleship. As I've said before, you can go find a hundred other churches that will put you in the choir right now, that will put you on the stage right now, that will let you be a youth leader right now, that won't be in your business. It will be easier for you to find a church like that than another one like this. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying it will be a lot easier for you to get another version. So if this is not the version you want, if this is not where you want to put in your labor, then go work at another field. Go do it another way because we're not going to do it another way here. And now that I look at it, after all of these years of laboring, the lives that we have here, the, co- the quality and the high caliber of discipleship, we can say, not just me, we can say we are not hypocrites here. That means even if one of our leaders does sin, because they have gone through the discipleship, we have a process of restoration. No different than if anybody on your job violates a protocol. They get sat down. They don't stay in that position. Our church has honored the word of God. And somebody might say, well, you know, do they still make mistakes? Yes. And if they make the wrong ones, they'll get set out. But most people, even in their mistakes, they work through it. And so they're not hypocrites. And so I can say with a clear conscience, when you drop off your children on Wednesdays to King's Kids, those are good parents. Those are good parents. They are raising their children right. You can trust them. When you go to the youth ministry, you're not going to have a youth leader hit on your daughter. If they do, I'll be the first one to call the police and put them in jail. Are you listening to me? We won't hide it here. We won't hide it here. I'll be like, well, they're not my disciple. They're going to jail. Well, I went to your church. You're not of me. You act like that. You are not one of us. You're going right to the clink and to the slammer. Amen? And nobody's going to feel sorry for you when you you say they won't let you out. There's a reason they won't let you out and you locked up. I'm being honest with you, folks. When you go to somebody's house for the Bible studies, that's what it's about. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here, Here it is. I want to ask you now in the big picture. And the big picture right here is that what are you going to do to put in work for the next people to come and to not have to repeat what you did? You see, if you and I do it right now, the work can continue to grow instead of feeling like we're in an endless cycle. And some of my friends' churches are like this. They never get bigger than two or 300 because they always lose about half their church every two, three years because they got so many messes and they just have a revolving door of the people coming and going and maybe a few staying the whole time, but they keep revolving people in and out, in and out. Is that how you want to be? Or do you want to be like a pillar in the house of God? 
a pillar, a leader in the house of God. And I'm not trying to say this is the only church. I'm just saying at some point, y'all, you got to pick a church and say, I will be a pillar here. I will be a leader here. I will be someone that will put in work. And what I've done, somebody doesn't have to come back over and do it again. Let me just tell you a testimony. We have gone through four youth, pastor, four youth pastors during this time that I've been the one senior pastor. I'm asking now Joe B and the team, are y'all finished and ready to do it now, done playing? Because I would like the fifth one to be the last one, at least for a little while. Are you guys tracking with me? I want to see people build foundations. Don't you want to have a church that you can be proud of that is both holy and successful? Because I don't want to be so holy that nobody likes me and all we have is still a home Bible study. But then I can say, I know everybody's holy here. And you might be like, yeah, because pastor, it's just you and your family here. And they're all scared of you, you know? I don't want that to be my testimony. I want the testimony to be, we're holy, we're righteous, but we also growing. And we giving the devil a run for his money, amen? Because this church over here and that church ain't our company. The devil's kingdom is our competition, and we're going to plunder hell and populate heaven, somebody. I'm not going there by myself. Amen. I'm taking a city with me because we are world changers, history makers, and roof breakers up in this thing. Disciples that make disciples. So at some point, we've got to see, is this the field that God put us in, and is this the work that we're going to do, and are we going to do it in so much excellence that somebody doesn't have to come behind us and fix it? Because you know on your job you hate fixing a problem that was done wrong. It's harder that way than doing it yourself. Am I not telling the truth? It would be better for us to not have had a youth group than to have burned out four youth pastors, burned through them, and then people wondering what in the world these people are doing at that church. You get my point? Because now they remember youth pastor crazy so-and-so, crazy youth pastor did this. They have all these crazy memories in their head now. I don't want to start stuff to have to keep fixing stuff. Let's do it right the first time. Amen? And then the second point I want to say to this, as the scriptures uh, teach us here, is that the last will be first and the first will be last, and we shouldn't be upset by that. So I'm going to say this. I I got enough gray hair now that I can say this. It doesn't bother me to say that the greatest days of Metro praise may be ahead in a generation or with people that I'm not in. I'm okay to say that. I have enough gray hair now. I don't have a lot, but I, I know now that if it's you and if it's not me and I just assist you, I will do that because it's not about me. You guys get that? It was never about a pastor. There was ne- it was, churches were never about personalities. And I know, you know, you might say, Pastor, you, you, you still act like it's about you because I see you do X, Y, and Z. No, you don't know me then. You're just judging me. The Bible says don't judge by mere appearances. Make a righteous judgment. Judge me by my fruit. Judge me by my fruit. My fruit has always been to empower people. Let me give you an example. The reason why we don't have Sunday night services or Wednesday services with me preaching again, even though that's one of my favorite things to do, is because I want Bible studies, life groups, youth groups, all of that happening with other leaders. Another reason why I don't travel around the country and only stay focused here is because I want this church to be my first priority, not doing this conference and that trip going on that TV show. Are you listening? And they get mad at me. I'm not trying to say like I'm always in demand, but sometimes they do want me, believe it or not. 
And I have to tell them, I'm not coming. And they say, you're not coming to the conference? Did you not hear us? We'll pay for you to, to fly. We'll get you a hotel. We'll bless you with the offering. And I, told, I tell them, at this season, and it's been this way for many years, God has told me I don't go. And the only time you see me guest preach is when I'm going for another reason. When you see me go back to New Orleans, I'm going there for other reasons. And then I say, who can I serve here? What church do you all want me in? Or when I go visit my family in Florida, what can I do while I'm here? But I have not left. I have not taken a plane in, in, in over five years to go do something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm trying to tell you that is God's way of telling me this is my focus. So I can be here to empower you because, listen, I would rather be on the streets like we were yesterday at Humble Park in downtown preaching on the stage of a Chicago for Jesus truck than preaching in front of 5,000 people at a conference because that's my assignment. I've got to do my assignment. And so here, here's my thing. I am okay with it being great in your life greater than it's ever been in my life. In other words, I'm okay with your Bible study blowing up more than mine ever did. I'm okay with the youth group doing more than, it, than I ever did as a youth pastor. My wife is okay with y'all blowing up the women's ministry more than she's ever done it. There is not a spirit here of jealousy because you came at this time and now you're blowing up. I try to help you blow up, as a matter of fact. Amen? I'll light you up in Jesus' name, man. I will light that wick and push you out there in front of the world to see. How many know that's the truth? It's, it's not that pastor holds you back. Pa pastor pushes you in front of every situation. Isn't that how you feel there? Sometimes you feel you go to a church and all they do is tolerate you. Then maybe you find one good one. They just appreciate you. No, you got to find one that accelerates you. I hope that you realize we're trying to accelerate you here. If you just came at 5 o'clock, I want you to work and get paid, man. I, I look at these young people and, and what God is doing here. We want you to get paid. We want Marco and Lawrence to see the greatest days of Metro Praise or for the church in general. We want to see them take trips and to go change the world. Right now, we're sending out a group to the Philippines. And all of that money was raised for me to go. And I felt that God opened that door by God's grace to go. But then the people I was going to go with, it fell apart. And I got back into studies. And then the Lord shut the door on me doing the things like I told you that happened about four or five years ago. And so we've been holding on to this, this money to go to the Philippines. And finally, I said, let's just send our Bible college students. Let's, let's see how much we can afford with them. What was supposed to be my trip and doing some crusades over there. Let's see how many we can send out. We figured we could send out three for the price of me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to do crusades with that money just to let you know. Anyways, it wasn't like, like Pastor Joe needed a five-star hotel and Joe needed a limo. No, it was just, it was just we were going to use that money to do radio ads and do a big crusade in the Philippines. And now, Sadia, Jackie, and Lawrence are going full paid, ex all-expense-paid trip to the Philippines in November. Now, I'm not trying to be a martyr saying, look at me and how much I give up because I live a good life. I'm blessed. I'm just saying I will do whatever it takes to step out of the way so that other people can go. So now I'm going to ask you, this is my thing. Are you going to come get hired? Are you going to come work? Because he asked them, he said, why aren't you working? And they said, well, because we have nothing to do. No one's hired us. Let me tell everyone here, we are hiring. <laughs> Metro Praise is hiring. We're hiring disciples who want to go hard for God. There has never been a time in this church where we have ever held back somebody's dream or vision. Never. 
Never. There have been people that have come to us with some wild visions and wild dreams that they wanted to do. And we have still said to them, we're not going to hold you back. Just do it this way and you're free to do it. Just go through the discipleship, become an elder or deacon in the church, become a leader, and you can start these variety of things that God has told you to do through the life groups or through the existing ones that are already there. And man, you, are, you, you will be busy for Jesus. But once again, the Bible says, many proclaim their unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And all the ladies said, come on, ladies, all the ladies said, amen. Men be proclaiming their love all the time. I love you. I love you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm never leaving you. You my person, all of this and that. No, 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 no. That, it's just your words. It don't work. I've had people look at me, Pastor. We're going. To, I had a guy who did video production for some of the biggest rappers in the city. He said, Pastor, I'm going to blow you up. We're going to put these videos out. We're going to do them large and in charge. I'm going to put all my 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 effort behind this. That dude didn't even graduate 101. Where is he at now? Where's all these videos we were going to make? They tell me this all the time, and I'm telling you, man, because we, we, we're in a generation where a lot of men grow up fatherless. So, you know, I have a lot of tough men come to me over the years, and they'll say, Pastor, let me tell you, man, you like a father to me, Pastor. And I, you know, I look at him, and I'm like, okay, now you know a kid don't leave his parents, right? Like, you know you don't turn your back on your dad, right? And then, like, and then I'm serious. They're like, man, Pastor, you're my, you're my father, Pastor. I feel like you're my, you, you're my dad I never have. And then, like, what, two years later, Pastor, I'm out of this church, Pastor. I don't like you, Pastor. You always disciplining me, Pastor. Pastor, you always getting on me, Pastor. Come on now. You said I was like a father you never had. And then now you get butt hurt and go tell everybody it's church hurt. There's a difference between butt hurt and church hurt. Do you understand? You're not church hurt if somebody loves you enough to tell you you're wrong. Oh, as the old timer says, as it T-I is, as it tis, baby. Somebody got to get up in your stinky breath and say, you smell. Go put a mint in. And then they go leave and they talk about us on Facebook and they say, pastor, pastor hurt me, this and that. Man, we didn't hurt you. We loved you. We loved you, 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 you rebellious person. You, I don't know what to say. Holy Spirit held me back. Don't say it, Pastor. I haven't cussed in over 20 years, Pastor. Don't start now, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, stop me right there. No, but, man, no, I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not, not when you act like that. Let's get the band to come on up. Please hear my heart today. It's not about a person. It's, man, I'm working in the same field you're working in. This is not Joe's field. How many know if Joe died on a car accident, in a car accident today, this would have happened today? And how many know what would happen next week? Why did I tell you that story at the beginning? Because my heart was that it would never be dependent upon me as a speaker. So God forbid if something were to happen to me, I hope you guys keep having church. Like I don't want to look over the window seals of heaven and see a closed sign over Metro Praise International because they're like, oh, it's not the same. Pastor Joe's not here. It's not the same. Man, God forbid. So, so, so as I preach this to you, I'm preaching it to myself. I'm working in the same field you're working in. Did the worker here own that field? No. The owner owned the field. The others were hired. I got hired. I've, I'm here with you working and sweating, and I'm saying, let's go. 
Let's not look at the past and the mistakes and get held back by that. Let's look at the past and see the successes and learn from our mistakes and go into the future and everybody take their spot. One of the things that just happened in the church was the three life groups were getting stagnant. So they all had about a dozen and the, and, and the Elevate group is growing, you know, past 50. They had over 100 at one of their outreaches a couple weeks ago. And we were challenging them to keep growing their life groups. And we couldn't figure out why these three life groups were all staying right around that size. Well, God spoke through Lauren and some of the others, Griselda, and said, man, you know what? They all meet at the church. None of them have a home to meet in. And how many know when you're a teenager, you like to hang out at people's houses? How many know as a teenager, you learn by what you see in people's houses? First place I got drunk was at my friend's house with his parents. Come on, people. The first place my friend got cigarettes from was from my house when my sister was smoking. Okay? So you learn a lot in houses, and teenagers love to hang out in houses. But guess what? A lot of our teenagers, their parents don't come to the church, so we don't have any houses for them to meet in. So we said, let's pray. And as we began to pray, y'all began to open up your homes so that teenagers could come and have their Bible studies there. And I want to thank you for that. So starting next quarter, all three of the youth life groups will be in homes. Amen. And, and we pray, we pray that you clean your home and you show them what it's like to have a clean home. And we pray that you don't cuss in your home and that as they do their Bible studies there, you help them. I could be here all day. The children's ministry now is well over 80, and on their outreaches, they can go upwards of 250 to 300. They just had one a couple weeks ago. And it was the same thing. We're having moms volunteer, but if you think about it, when my wife volunteers or another mom volunteers in our church, some of us have six kids. So my wife, it's not enough to even volunteer for the way we want to do children's ministry to cover our own kids. Because we don't want one volunteer to six children. We want one volunteer to two or three children. So what does that mean? That means some of y'all without kids had to be called on. Do you want to volunteer and start helping out? And now they have more volunteers than they've ever had before. Let's give it up for King's Kids. God is moving. And then a, a last testimony is that life groups, life groups only used to work if people were bored and didn't have anything to do or we had to put them in there for counseling because a lot of our counseling happens through the life group. We want to see you weekly, check in with you, etc. And so we only had two life groups, maybe three. And as the church began to grow, we are noticing like, man, a lot of you guys are not going to the life groups for you. So we started at one time event life groups. Like we were like going to try to get you more excited about them. So we said, we'll do it for marriage once a month. Come on out. We'll have some food and play games and we'll talk about marriage. And then we'll do one family day where they're going to go bowling or something. And we just noticed that it wasn't really working to what we needed. It was cool. People got something out of the marriage group. Something got, somebody got something out of the you know, family group. But it wasn't the same as those who were growing in the weekly groups. So we prayed, and you guys helped us start three new life groups. Since then, we have another two, and then now we're going to start another one for a total, I believe now, of nine home Bible studies for adults. Let's give it up for Jesus. One is in Spanish. 
It's amazing, man, what God is doing in those life groups now. And I'm seeing your lives change. We have one in the suburbs now as well. And it's just the beginning. So what is missing in this church? What work needs to be done? That's why God brought you here. Oftentimes, you will look at something missing in the church and point to somebody else and say, that's their job. No, but remember, we're hiring. (laughs) Where you see it missing, come on and put in work. Well, I want us to have a choir that can sing specials. All right, we're hiring choir directors. I want to have an adopt-a-block ministry where we go back to the west side and these kinds of neighborhoods and we clean them up and do something good. Okay, we're hiring adopt-a-block people. Well, I want to use the truck to go to uh, these different neighborhoods and do, okay, we're hiring evangelists. Do you all get it? There is as much opportunity here to grow as you have ideas in your heart that come from the Lord. Let's go hard this next season. Let's learn from Jesus' parable. And when we see others come in, who may experience faster growth. Maybe this life group grows faster than the one that's been there for many years. Let's just celebrate. Let's not not hate. Let's celebrate each other's victories. And if we can learn, let's learn. And let's work together to build the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Let's pray in closing as the altar workers come.